Hello and welcome to episode 76 of Saw Something Scary. I'm one of your regular hosts, Jeff, and you're with me solo today because Derek Zoo has been called in at the last moment to replace Byron Saxton on WWE's programming on Tuesday nights known as SmackDown. Finally, the WWE has seen the light and have decided to bring Derek in, and our loss then is their game. So again, you're with me solo, and we do trust that Derek will be back once he has his obligations to the WWE universe fulfilled. Until then, though, we have one of the most anticipated movies, I guess, of the year to talk about. The latest from the Conjuring universe, The Nun. But before we get to that, we're going to go through our regular segments that Derek and I usually cover together. The first there being... Jeff hates trailers. So while Derek is absent from us in body, uh, he is present with us in spirit because he was faithful enough to come up with some trailers to to put in front of us for consideration here on this week's episode. And he, he found some good ones. Uh, the first one that we're going to be talking about is called Housewife. Here's the premise that Derek wrote up. On a snowy eve, little Holly's sister and father are killed by her frantic mother. Years later, Holly is married, lonely, and her life is soon about to take a turn for the ultra weird when she visits Umbrella of Love and Mind. Uh, that premise didn't really square with what uh, I saw featured in the trailer. Um, not that Derek's write-up is wrong. I think that's the official synopsis, but just the the trailer goes with this from a different angle. Uh, you don't lead with a young woman or a girl finding her family dead or seeing them killed or anything like that. You see a woman sitting at a table in what appears to be a TED Talk. Um, eventually, you find out that there is some kind of pop psych- psychic guy who's up doing readings on people. Eventually, he comes to her, and when he takes a read of her, we get this flashback scene of in all the trauma of her childhood. He falls over to the floor, and that's the most sane part of the trailer because very quickly, you get into images of uh, water rushing out of places it shouldn't be and there's hands crawling up over the ledge of a toilet from within and there's also some sexual imagery of the um, the, the the actress and the guy playing the pop psychic uh, doing something and eventually you see an image of him standing over her while she looks to be in position to deliver a baby so you know Derek usually throws these at me and asks me what I think about uh, what we saw in the trailer and I'm going to conclude hard pass on this one um, the pop psychic messing with a girl's head, uh, specifically if it's sexually, uh, that's that's not super appealing to me. If if you add in an element that may be implied by the trailer that he doesn't just mess with her head or sexually abuse her, but he rosemary uh, he gives her the rosemary's baby treatment. Well, I'm I'm just completely out on every bit of that. And so, housewife has a lot of um, positive comments about itself in the trailer from those who've already got a chance to screen the movie. They say it's visually beautiful and lots of other good things. Hey, more more power to them. I'm totally out on this. I couldn't be less interested in that movie. If you go watch the trailer, uh, if you eventually watch the movie, love to hear your thoughts on it. Maybe you could rope me back in, but this is one that I'm going to intentionally skip, I think. The next one is outside of the realm of the horror genre, but I'm really grateful that Derek put this one up. It is a Netflix original called The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, and the synopsis goes like this. An anthology western following six different storylines centering on a man named Buster Scruggs. That's pretty pedestrian, but let me give you some uh, some zesty seasoning to add on top of that. One, it was created by the Coen brothers. Two, it is a Western. Three, it has James Franco in it. Um, those elements by themselves, if I never watched this trailer, would be enough for me to say I'm definitely in on this movie. Westerns are a favorite genre of mine. I know they're kind of underappreciated, but man, uh, there's there's few settings that I like more than the, the dusty trails of the Wild West. And with this kind of talent involved, uh, and you know, that's sort of the highlights uh, in terms of 
the Coen brothers and Franco, but there are yet more goodies bound up in the cast. Um, yeah, I'm I'm super in on this and really excited that Derek put it in front of me because I haven't heard about it yet. Uh, this thing is set to release on Netflix on November 6th, and that date is set to be highlighted on my calendar because I will I will be plowing through that. I don't know what he said. It's an anthology. No, just six different storylines. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. An anthology Western. I will be plowing through that anthology uh, on the day it releases unless something catastrophic has taken place. So uh, if you're interested in the Coen brothers, James Franco, Western movies, join in with me. And uh, again, like I said, with Housewife, love to hear your thoughts on this one as well. Speaking of Netflix originals, the third one here is probably the the highlight of the group. Also a Netflix original, one we've talked about before on previous episodes. And this is the trailer that just dropped for the Netflix original Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. So this is the reimagining of the origin and adventures of Sabrina the Teenage Witch as a dark coming-of-age story that traffics in horror, the occult, and of course witchcraft. The uh, This adaptation finds Sabrina wrestling to reconcile her dual nature, half-witch, half-mortal, while standing against the evil forces that threaten her, her family, and the daylight world humans inhabit. Um, I think if you guys have listened to this before, you already know this, but just to make sure everybody's on the same page, uh, Derek was a big fan of the Sabrina series. I totally missed that thing. Uh, I read a bunch of Archie comics when I was a kid. I don't remember very many of them having Sabrina in them, but nonetheless, as a comic book fan, I've, I've read some of that stuff. And while I was excited to hear that Netflix was developing another horror project, this you know this just wasn't one that, that grabbed me with a lot of um, visceral interest. Uh, but having the having seen the trailer now, that's totally different. And I'm assuming Derek's listening. Uh, Derek, when you hear this piece, you need to text me about this one, man. I'm super excited about this project now that I've seen the trailer. One, this thing is much darker. I mean, we had talked again previously on, on earlier episodes as we got bits of, and pieces of news about this project filtering out that it was going to be darker. Uh, but that trailer really even took it further than I would have expected. Um, and it, it's really visually impressive. Impressive. Now, we just got like quick flashes of the uh, special effects, I guess is the right term for, for what they're doing. There's, you know, some creature walking around with a goat's head and, you know, you see some supernatural stuff going on. That could look cheesy if we're if we're getting extended looks at it. I, I can't comment on that thus far. But the quick flashes we got looked really good. And uh, everything about that trailer worked for me. So this one is coming out on October 26th. Uh, good things happening there at the end of October and early November from Netflix. And it's also going to go on my calendar as an immediate watch. So take a take a moment if you have any interest whatsoever and look up for the trailer for Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. You need to watch that thing. I think if you're listening to a horror movie podcast, you are going to be interested in this. And I hope you're as enthusiastic about it as I am because, man, doesn't it, doesn't it just feel awesome when there's good horror projects out around Halloween? Uh, this looks like a good one to, uh, to sink your teeth into this Halloween. Right, guys, that's going to cover this particular section of Jeff H. Trailers. And that can only mean it is now time for this week's if you listen to episode 75, you know that Derek and I had agreed to watch Summer of 84. And obviously this episode is about the nun. Um, that indicates that we have missed that episode. Derek and I had a hard time getting our schedules together last week. This week, we thought we had everything lined up and it was good to go. But I had a close family member unexpectedly go into the hospital with some pretty serious health concerns. And about the time that got resolved, Derek's performance uh, schedule 
schedule through him a curveball. That's why you're with me solo um, this week. But again, last week it was about having a hard time getting our schedules mesh, meshed up. Um, we'll, we'll talk about summer of 84 and the next time that Derek and I are together. But uh, that whole bit of catching you up is there to tell you why you're about to hear a bunch of stuff covered under the horror reporter. We've had two weeks. Uh, the log is kind of backed up. And uh, as we're getting closer to the Halloween season, you can imagine we're, we're getting more and more news from the horror genre. And a lot of it is really good and really exciting. I'm going to go chronologically oldest to youngest. And uh, the first bit of news I have for you is something that Jody Webster, friend of the podcast, turned us on to in our Facebook group. We saw something scary, which if you're not a part of yet, man, head over there and jump in. Some of the, the funnest stuff I see from fans of the horror genre happens in that Facebook group. Uh, I don't think that's because it's associated with me and Derek and our podcast. I think it's because the people who've ended up there are super and they're great fans and great people to hang out with. And, and so what shows up there is really high quality. This being one of those examples. So I'm reading from Bloody Disgusting. Uh, this came, this news hit, I guess, seven, six, seven days ago on September 7th. It is that there is a horror movie edition of Trivial Pursuit that is available now for pre-order and it covers 100 years of the horror genre. Uh, again, Jody Webster posted this in We Saw Something Scary and I have offered to crowdfund uh, purchasing an edition of this game for him as a birthday present. And if anyone wants to chip in on that, which we've had Derek and uh, Mike D uh, agree to chip in five on it. Uh, if anybody wants to chip in on buying that for Jody, we will play that with Jody over Skype or in person and do a recording of the podcast as we plow through this new Trivial Pursuit. I don't know if you guys are as into board games as I am. Um, I usually don't go in for Trivial Pursuit games, and that is because the SNL Trivial Pursuit kicked my butt so hard it has scared me off the entire line. I thought I I thought I knew quite a bit about the history of Saturday Night Live. I fired up Trivial Pursuit and realized I'm a novice at best, and so I've stayed away, but uh, my confidence is back with this one, man. Uh, horror movie edition Trivial Pursuit, I should own at that, and if I don't own, maybe it'll be uh, a good way for me to find some stuff I need to go familiarize, familiarize myself with as a horror fan. So again, from Bloody Disgusting, uh, USAopoly, they've released Trivial Pursuit Horror Movie Edition. Here is the, the synopsis. The movie horror edition of Trivial Pursuit allows players to test their knowledge of 100 years of horror, including 600 questions related to psychological thrillers, epic monster films, the paranormal, and the goriest and most disturbing cinema, cinema of all time. Individual categories include monster, gore slash disturbing, psychological, paranormal, slasher, international. So this thing is available uh, through Amazon or you can grab it at GameStop and it's only 20 bucks. Uh, I am going to place my order once this episode um, wraps. And if you are interested in helping Jody get one of those as a birthday gift, head over to We Saw Something Scary chip in on that and you get to be an official guest on the Saw Something Scary podcast as we do our uh, our playthrough for those who donated to Jody's birthday fund. Uh, either way, if you don't want to do that, I'm looking forward to getting my hands on this, playing around to this, and uh, we'll let you know how it goes once uh, once I get a copy of it, even if the, the thing with Jody falls through. But I hope it doesn't. So five bucks or whatever you want to contribute, uh, we'll chip in on that thing and get a copy of that for Jody. And that'll be uh, that'll be a fun thing for us to do. So chip in on that if you're feeling the least bit generous. Uh, moving on. Uh, this is from USA Today, and this published on September 9th. The head- heading says, Critics rave over Halloween, calling it the best film since the original. So this is maybe sort of a puff piece from USA Today. 
today just extolling the praises of the new Halloween reboot movie that is coming out very shortly. Um, you've probably seen articles like this before. There's a write-up about the movie, which is going to hit uh, theaters October 19th, and it kind of gives you a synopsis, but then it goes through and just collects a bunch of tweets from other people who have credibility and have raved about the movie. So uh, Collider reporter Perry Nimeroff is in there. Uh, film critic Scott Menzel is featured because he said, Halloween is a total blast and is going to make a killing at the box office. Um, I'm sure he meant no pun there. Bloomhouse does it again. Jamie Lee Curtis is still kicking butt and taking names. I can see fans watching this over and over again. The best Halloween since the original. So Scott Menzel is fired up about this. There's a bunch of other people, though, saying similar things. People from, uh, rather critics from The Atlantic, uh, David Sims, Uproxx, Mike Ryan, Rotten Tomatoes editor-in-chief, Joel Mears. Um, yeah, it's exciting. So there's a couple of guys in there who, who try to tamp it down a bit. But again, sort of a puff piece, hagiography maybe in advance, uh, raving about this movie. If you've listened to this podcast much at all, you know that Halloween is number one or number two in my all-times uh, favorite list of horror movies. Uh, there's a episode covering Halloween in our archives. If you want to go back and track that thing down, you'll hear me gush about that movie. I couldn't be more excited for this reboot, and I've, I've been delighted by everything I've heard, specifically that Rob Zombie was nowhere near it. Uh, but all the other news has been exciting as well. This puff piece makes me even more excited. You know, moves me from like 99 to 99. 9.3. But nonetheless, it's good to hear. Um, having said that, I just watched The Nun, and The Nun had a lot of advanced praise, not to give too much away about the eventual review that's coming, but The Nun had a lot of advanced praise, and well, anyway, I'll save it for the review. Nonetheless, there's there's sort of the, the dark shadow of The Nun hanging over this new experience of critics raving about a big-budget, high-profile horror movie, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to believe the hype, and I'm going to go in with uh, my full fanboy goggles on, ready to watch this thing and love every minute of it. So, great. Let's uh, let's bring on October 19th. Can't wait to see the Halloween reboot. Speaking of reboots and things that we love here at Saw Something Scary, again, if you've listened to us for very long, you know that we were early adopters of Jordan Peele's Get Out. Some of the uh, most anticipated days of this podcast were waiting for Get Out to hit theaters. And of course, we, like virtually everyone else, were delighted by what we eventually received. Well, Jordan Peele, uh, news broke three days ago, he is now in talks to remake Clive Barker's Candyman. Truth be told, it's been a hot minute since I've watched Candyman. I remember enjoying the experience years ago, back closer to when the movie actually released. I don't think I've ever revisited it. I do think I saw maybe one of the sequels. I'm not sure if there's more than one, but I think I saw a sequel to this thing. But again, just never really came back to this. I remember watching it as a kid, watching this movie and thinking that it was scary. But of course, at that age, everything that made even a half-hearted attempt at scaring me, I probably found uh, horrifying. I do also distinctly remember in my elementary school, we would play Bloody Mary, like I'm sure many of you did. But whenever this movie came out, or maybe Maybe it was after it came out and started showing up on network TV. That's probably more likely. Anyway, once we became exposed to this movie, we would go into the gym and uh, the, the restroom in the gym had these big mirrors in them. And we would, you know, we had previously played Bloody Mary, but once we had been exposed to Candyman, we started playing Candyman there. Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, nothing ever materialized. Spoiler alert. Uh, but anyway, that uh, that movie was at least profound enough to alter my, my habits playing with my friends on the playground in elementary school. And look, if Jordan Peele wants to do it, I want him to do it. And if he's going to do it, I'm going to show up and watch it. Uh, that guy has rock solid credibility right now. We've, you know, we've heard news that he's got several different irons in the fire and it's entirely possible that one
one or two of those things may not be, I don't know, change the game level awesome the way that Get Out was. Hey, but until until that comes to pass, I'm just going to keep believing he's got the Midas touch and I will be there to watch Candyman. So if you like that movie, like Jordan Peele, uh, you can get excited with me and uh, we'll, we'll see what the mind of Jordan Peele is able to produce in this remake. Get to it, Jordan. We're ready to see it. Let's see. We got news. Next piece here. We got news back on the 11th of this month that The Conjuring 3 is expected to begin production in 2019. Um, yeah, we're going to, again, talk about the latest right now from The Conjuring Universe in our review. So I'm going to hold off on some of my commentary uh, about the franchise till the end. But this is good news nonetheless. The Conjuring tends to be one of the most reliable franchises in Hollywood. And uh, the, the main continuity movies have almost all, no, excuse me, the main continuity movies have all been, at least in mine and Derek's opinion here, uh, rock solid, really good, scary movies. And so to hear we're getting some more of Lorraine and Ed Warren, well, that's good news. And we will be delighted to see it when it comes. So production beginning in 2019. Don't know that we have news yet about when they're hoping to release it, but I don't know, maybe we could get it. If they get started early in 2019, maybe we could get it in the same year. Probably 2020 though, but anyway, it's just a good piece of news to be aware of and be thankful for as we uh, we gear up for, you know, filling that ever present need for fresh and interesting quality horror movies. So let's get to it, Conjuring. Uh, last bit of news here, guys, is already uh, is rather connected to something that we've already talked about before. That is AMC's adaptation of Joe Hill's NOS 4A2. Uh, the, the bit of news that I wanted to highlight was only published 21 minutes ago as of this recording, and it is that Zachary Quinto is going to star in that thing. Uh, Ashley Cummings is also tapped to, to star, but you know Zachary Quinto is a guy that horror fans, I'm assuming, uh, most have fallen in love with him through the American Horror Story that first season and went on to enjoy his career in Heroes and uh, Star Trek, just all the you know the good things he's been involved in in recent years. Uh, it's good to hear that he's coming back to the genre, coming back to uh, a project that has a lot of potential. And the fact that he is going to be one of the guys carrying the ball in that thing makes me think that this is going to be uh, a truly, truly special uh, project that, that we're going to want to pay attention to. So it's good to have you back, Zachary Quinto. Good to see you doing the scary stuff again. And we will be looking forward to seeing what you do with Joe Hill's NOS 4A2 when AMC eventually releases that thing to us. All right, that's going to wrap up the Horror Reporter for this week. This has been this week's and that means we are now contractually obligated to pull the curtain on The Nun, the very latest from the Conjuring movie universe. Guys, if you were paying attention earlier in the episode, you've probably already got a sense of what my general reaction to this movie is. <clears throat> in this situation, uh, Derek and I are very much on the same page. We talked it out with the aforementioned Jody Webster compared notes on this movie. And uh, Derek and I, Jody as well, just all came away from this movie very disappointed uh, from those for those of you who follow me on Letterboxd, you may know this already, but assuming that most of our listeners do not, let me give you the broad strokes right up right up front, and then we can kind of flesh out some of the details. <clears throat> I wrote this. It pains me to say this, but The Nun just isn't a good movie. The Conjuring is as reliable a franchise, let alone within horror, as Hollywood has today. Yet, I'm afraid, after The Nun, the average for the series is just 3 out of 5. Now, this isn't the fault of the cast. Thaisa Faramiga shows herself ready for the spotlight, and her 
real-life connection to the franchises, Lorraine Warren particularly, makes it delightful. Uh, Demian Bencher, an actor who I'm not particularly familiar with, played an excellent seen some stuff Roman Catholic priest. Even Jonas Blokwit, who was given very little work with, acquits himself ably. The problem with the movie is the screenplay. This film leans in hard on virtually every cliche of a haunted house movie and does so without any sense of irony or awareness that the audience has seen the calling Blackbird 10,000 times before. The movie also wants to be both <coughs> excuse me, got a bit of a tickle in my throat. The movie also wants us to be both deeply impressed with the power of religious rites and totems as well as completely irreverent toward them. Attention the film fails to create, let alone maintain. Uh, honestly, at parts of this movie I was bored and hoping for the end of the film. That has not been the case in any Conjuring film thus far, not even Annabelle. And while I don't think this movie is as bad as Annabelle, that is largely because the cast and the cinematography are strong in the nun. Um, the, the real sad thing here is that I don't think I'll watch this movie ever again. And as a voracious consumer of horror and a devoted fan of The Conjuring as a franchise in particular, um, a, a guy who has watched every previous film in the franchise multiple times, that is deeply disappointing. And so that's that's my broad strokes thoughts on this movie. I don't know that I have been more excited for a movie uh, to only wind up deeply disappointed in a way that's comparable to The Nun. Uh, this movie came out to great hype. We we first started hearing about the movie, you know, uh, what, more than two years ago. But, it you know, the, the snowball of hype really started picking up at San Diego Comic-Con when uh, at the Scare Diego uh, kind of prequel event, they, they showed some footage from The Nun. People were raving about it, giving James Wan a high five. And again, like I said in the review, The Conjuring is is pretty reliable as a franchise. Uh, you know, it's not quite the Marvel Universe, but second tier, you think about Fast and the Furious, um, The Expendables, Jurassic Park, like those second tier franchises that we have, The Conjuring belongs right in there in terms of churning out really likable, enjoyable movies that, that do what they set out to accomplish. And so I was just super excited. And then I was incredibly let down. I, it's so weird for me to be watching a Conjuring movie and be bored and hoping that something happens to move the plot along and, and get me out of the theater. Um, I checked my watch multiple times. So again, that disparity between the hype and the anticipation I felt and the you know the, the actual experience of watching the movie and the deep disappointment that pretty immediately sets in, I don't know that I've I've ever experienced anything comparable with, with an individual movie. Um, I, I am a fan of the cast. Bloody disgusting, I think it was John Squires, but it maybe maybe was someone else. Let me see. Nope, it was John Squires. He writes everything for Bloody Disgusting. He uh, he wrote a piece, an editorial on Bloody Disgusting about how weird it was that they cast Taisa Fermiga in the role. Uh, she's 22 years younger than her sister Vera, who obviously plays Lorraine. And uh, he, he just thinks it's super weird that they didn't make a connection between um, Sister Irene and Lorraine Warren because Taisa looks so much like Vera. Just she's a perfect real world example of, uh, you know, the child who would grow up to be the adult and sort of the inverse of a de-aging process. So Squires is really confused why they didn't have her her character Irene grow up to be, for instance, uh, Lorraine Warren. Look, I, yeah, that's fine. I mean, I'm not going to criticize John for wondering why they didn't take that turn with it. But I also think he may be jumping the gun just a little bit. Um, 
I, I would not be surprised to find out if Sister Irene is somehow in the same family as Lorraine Warren by the time The Conjuring 3 rolls around. Uh, it could be that what he expected to see realized in The Nun is just laying the seeds for what shows up in The Conjuring 3 or The Crooked Man or one of the other Conjuring Universe films that we already know is coming down the pike. Uh, Sister Irene, Tyus's character, has visions, and these visions she attributes to religious experience. Um, Lorraine Warren does the same, and so it will not surprise me at all if it turns out that Sister Irene is somehow related to Lorraine Warren and the fact that uh, Frenchie, and I guess this would be a good time for me to remember to call in Brother Mark Wahlberg. What? No! Spoiler alert. The fact that Frenchie, the the other member that I haven't mentioned yet of the uh, three-person cast that does make up the nun primarily, that he is the one who takes Valak into Lorraine Warren's life as the end of the movie shows us. It just it seems like it's too likely, and there's too many threads of connection between The Conjuring and this movie in terms of the resemblance to Fermiga and Valak and all that. That they that you know the creators behind this franchise won't have Irene and Lorraine connected in some ways. So we'll we'll wait and see if John Squire's prediction that they've wasted the opportunity is right or if my idea that they will eventually come back around to it turns out to be correct. That's all sort of sidebar, though, to the fact that this movie just isn't good despite what Taessa Fermiga does, despite what uh, Bashir does, despite what Blokwit does. I, I do want to highlight them. They're really good. Uh, it would have been easy for Taessa Fermiga to you know, just show that she wasn't quite ready to carry a major franchise's latest installment, but I thought she did a really good job, even with some subtleties. So uh, she runs up against Frenchie, who is this living id, a just one running sex joke. Uh, but, you know, with a heart of gold, sure, we, we come to find that out. But nonetheless, he's he's very much different from the culture of the world she is a aspiring nun has been living in. And yet her, you know, quick dropping of the eyes and a little blush here there. Uh, and yet, you know, just continuing on in the assignment the church has given her shows you a young woman who is trying to adapt readily and quickly and and maybe in some ways scrambling internally anyway to move from the world of the cloister into this specific assignment by the church. But one who is very confident, one who acquits herself ably, who shows uh, incredible amount of bravery, uh, but yet is still also at the same time without doing injustice to either part of herself, uh, the the young lady who will blush when a handsome young man makes a, a joke that is obviously meant to convey something complimentary towards her. Now, now hear me out. He makes sex jokes that are crude, unwanted, unwelcome. They're, they're not appropriate. So I'm not saying that she should take those as a compliment. I'm specifically thinking about a wagon ride they were taking where he says something more flirtatious to her, something that is not as crude and lechery, and she just drops her head and blushes a bit. I thought that was a really, really uh, skilled delivery that said a lot about that character without any dialogue. And then later, of course, we see her staring face-to-face with Valak, and you also believes that this is a woman who is not just the blushing young lady, but but one who will go to war uh, in spite of the things she holds dear. So I really don't have anything but good things to say about Taessa Farmiga. You know, Bashir was not asked to play as big a role as she was, but he did a fine job. It would have been easy for them to kind of have him as either the religious hypocrite, right? This guy who's a priest, but uh, it turns out that he's some scumbag, you know, underneath the collar. Um, Or he could have just been a drunk. Um, You know, we've seen those in plenty of horror.
horror movies where the priest who's seen too much turns the bottle. He doesn't really do that. I mean, we see him take a stiff drink a couple times, but this is a guy who, um, this is a character anyway, who um, goes about the business that he's assigned with uh, real bravery and real, you know, a real strong sense of duty. So I thought he played that very well. And I mentioned Jonas Blokowitz, Frenchie. Uh, they don't give him much to work with. And what he has to work with is kind of, I, I don't know if they intended it this way, but it's kind of hard to care for because, again, he's kind of a, uh, a lecher. But, you know, by the time you come away from the end of the movie, he has rounded that guy out a bit and made him a little bit more three-dimensional, shown you that, um, not the, you know, the only thing that is present within this character uh, isn't just him being, again, a living id. And that's pretty skillful uh, on, on the part of the actor. You know, he doesn't leave us just thinking that we're hoping Valak bites the guy's head off. Um, so again, I don't think the, the problem with this movie falls on the, the principal actors. I, I think where the movie goes sideways is with the screenplay, as I mentioned in my uh, my big review. And I'm going to lay that at Corin Hardy's feet, although James Wan is listed in this as a storyteller, excuse me, as a, as a, as a writer uh, of the story. And that's just so disappointing because I had read along that he actually had a hand in this and that this was much more of his project. If that's the case, he has lost his fastball or he misplaced it in the days leading up to this one. If you don't know Corin Hardy, I guess you could be forgiven for that, but I'm betting you know his previous movie, The Hallow. That is always on the, you know, the list that you find on Google when you put in uh, underappreciated horror movies or, you know, overlooked horror movies. The Hallow tends to show up there. Derek and I have both watched it. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think we were in love with it, but it was fine. And again, it's, it's kind of beloved in the horror community. He made, at least in my mind, a reasonable choice to, to put on the nun. Um, but man, it just does not come through. Gary Doberman is the other uh, screenplay writer beside James Wan. He's been involved in both the best and the worst of this franchise and even uh, the horror genre. So in his you know positive category, he was a writer on Annabelle Creation. He was a writer on Andy Muschietti's It. So more power to you. Uh, in the negative column, he was a writer on the original Annabelle, and he was a writer on The Nun. I think this movie, The Nun, lowers the you know, success rate of the franchise's movies from uh, three-fourths to three-fifths. And Gary Doberman is involved in both of the misses. So the original Annabelle, The Nun, you take your pick on which one is worse. I think I think Derek Zhu, if I remember correctly, he said he thought The Nun was the worst. I'm still going to go with Annabelle. Um, but either way, they're clearly the worst in the franchise. Gary Doberman had his hand in both. And I guess James Wan to some degree did as well. And that's, I don't know, it's causing me to re reevaluate some things when I think about who the really reliable and go-to creators in horror are, at least, you know, big budget Hollywood horror. The, the the movie goes sideways, as I mentioned, on the screenplay. And it's because this this film is super cliched. And I don't know, I guess I would say seems to miss that people have watched scary movies before. Like that we know what has happened in haunted house movies in the genre for about a century now. Uh, one of the earliest scenes we have in this movie is a big black crow cawing at a, at a a peasant walking up to a castle. Um, it, it can't be more stereotyped and cliched than that. We see crows pecking the eyes out of a corpse. We see you know things going bump in the night and people dis- disappearing uh, through a doorway out of the corner of one of the main character's eyes. When they turn to look, it's too late. We see a guy chasing a ghost out into a field. We, I mean, you just go through this over and over and over. Uh, it's just 
hackneyed, or at least if if not inherently hackneyed, at least things that we have seen so often that we know all the beats long before they show up. Then they mix in some very obvious jump scares, and the combination just works to put you off almost from the from the get go. Now, even the idea that a nun leaping to her death is you know not it's not some betrayal of her faith, but it was a heroic act uh, within her faith. We have seen stuff like that in horror movies before where you know the 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 read taken by those who um, who come behind turns out to be wrong-headed and the person who they were there to to find out you know why they had ruined everything um, it, it turns out that the person who they thought ruined everything made everything right and that the people coming behind had screwed it up like every single bit of this movie is something that you could go through your list of horror movies on letterbox that you have reviewed and go oh yeah that was there that was in that movie that was in that movie over and over and over and so I just don't get it. This is a this is a franchise that is on the cutting edge, at least in terms of Hollywood big box office. Maybe we would call it pop horror, um, and it's because they're on the leading edge because they've been consistently good at what they've done. Here, they've just made use of the same old, same old to the worst possible effect. And I, again, I lay that at the hands of those who wrote out the story and uh, and the director. Um, what do you do with this movie, man? I, I just think you chalk it up as a miss and forget it ever happened. I have watched Annabelle, the original, I think three times. And the reason I go back to that movie, which is also a stinker, is because Annabelle Wallace, who plays the main character, Mia, she does a really good job in the movie. And she's good enough that until the demon shows up in that movie, uh, and if, if that's a spoiler to you, I'm, I'm really sorry. We reviewed it in our archives. That movie's been around for a long time. Um, I'm sorry you find out that a demon shows up in that movie. But by the time the demon shows up in that movie, the movie falls off a cliff. But up until then, Annabelle uh, carries the water really effectively and makes it an enjoyable watch. And sometimes I find myself, you know, at the office and think, hey, I'm going to throw that on. I wouldn't mind going back to spend some time with that character. Uh, the, the nun has, n- no pun intended, the nun has none of that. I'm just going to to assign this one to the scrap bin. And, and I really don't think I'm ever going to go back to this one. There's nothing that stands out about this movie where I want to go back and see more. Uh, that's, again, I just, I'm still living in that place of incongruity where I can't believe that this is what's happened with this long awaited and much hyped Conjuring film, but that's where we're at. If you haven't seen this movie and we're waiting on this review to figure out, you know, whether or not you're going to go watch it, I'm legit. I would stay away. Go back and watch Conjuring 1, Conjuring 2, Annabelle Creation. If you, you know, if you want to be in this universe some more, I totally get that. Just go back to those movies and save your money uh, or your AMC A-list reservation or, you know, if you're one of those last few people out there with a functioning movie pass, this isn't even worth using a movie pass on. I would just stay away. Way. Uh, the movie does have, I guess, one other strength besides the uh, the, the the actors, and that that is that it's a pretty movie. It does the visual stuff right. You never have um, you never have a moment where, for instance, the gloomy darkness that you're looking at and being uh, being asked to kind of peer into to see if you can see anything lurking in the shadows. Uh, where where when you do that, you find out that there's not enough depth in the image. You know the the grays are gray in the way they're supposed to be. The blacks are black in the way they're supposed to be, and you get to see the difference between them, you know, that may not seem like something that's praiseworthy uh, unless, like me and um, I'm assuming many of our listeners, you've watched a metric ton of horror movies and realized that those are not things that every creator can can deliver. So this movie, you know, visually... 
is really pretty. It's just that what it does with what it puts in front of you visually is is hot garbage. So, uh, you know, I want to try to find the positives I can to highlight in this. And I want to own that that their visual presentation was good, at least in terms of putting on film in a way the audience could consume uh, what they wanted to put on film. Yeah, that was good. The actors, the actresses, the actress that leads the movie, they, they handle themselves ably. But again, I'm just going to come back to this. And I think I can say on behalf of Derek Zhu, just stay away from this one. Go watch something else. You're not going to regret missing it. Um, and if you go ahead and press on and think, man, this is too much. They, they, uh, they're, they're kind of over, I don't know what overselling is on the negative, but they're, they're over expressing how bad the movie is. I think you're going to come back and be like, you know what? I really wish I'd just stayed away from that and watched another movie. And look, I'm telling you that as somebody who, again, hates that that's my review of this movie, but this movie just is a failure top to bottom. And, uh, the best part of the movie to me was when the credits rolled. So, um, I don't know what else to tell you on that. Uh, one, one other thing I want to highlight, uh, again, this movie wants to make use of religious imagery, but then also make you, uh, make you laugh at it, which I don't understand that as a storytelling choice. But have you ever seen a religious relic that looked more like a tacky Christmas ornament than that thing that the blood of Christ was held in? <laughs> Again, this movie wants me to believe that whatever's in that vial can close a pit to hell. I guess my dog wants to make a guest in appearance here on Saw Something Scary. Pardon me just a second. All right, sorry about that one. Got him tucked away. He's not quite ready to debut as a guest host. Um, anyway, I'm just stunned that they wanted to make the MacGuffin that was going to fix all the problems that we're all supposed to be pretty reverential toward as people who have suspended our disbelief and are bought into the world of this movie, that they made it look like something that would be picked up at a flea market uh, from you know some uh, woman who delighted in collecting tacky Christmas ornaments from her collection being sold off after she passed away. So anyway, uh, yeah, guys, this is a this is a flop. Not one I think you're going to want to have watched. If you did watch it, I'm sorry. I'm with you. I wish we hadn't. I wish we would have done something different with our time. And I'm just going to trust that this is an example of the Conjuring spinoff movies not always being able to deliver, but that the main continuity Conjuring movies are still a reliable guide and that, you know, when part three eventually comes out in 2020 or whatever, that we're going to come back and be like, yep, okay, they got back on track with the franchise because the Conjuring 3 was good. Live in faith, my friends. Um, Thank you for tagging along with me in this episode. Thanks for hanging out when uh, Derek wasn't able to be with us. If you want to keep up to date with what Derek has going on, you can find him at DerekZoo.com and that will take you anywhere that you want to go to connect with him. Any of his social media links, where he's touring. Uh, If you want to send him an email, you can do that. Again, through DerekZoo.com. I am at WrightJeff on most social media platforms if you want to connect with me. Uh, With the podcast, you can find us on Twitter at ScaryPodcast, Facebook.com, the same on Reddit at forward slash R forward slash Saw Something Scary. And I want to put one more plug in for We Saw Something Scary, the the Facebook group that is a companion to this show. Uh, We really enjoy the interactions that take place there and I think you will too so if you're leery about Facebook you've you know, come close to cutting the cord or maybe you already have maybe you've never signed up just sign up using you know generic information that they can't use to monetize your data join our group and don't do anything else on the site just get in there and talk to us and you'll thwart the the evil minds of the social media masters behind Facebook but still get to uh, enjoy the good content the good companionship that takes place in that group if you're willing we'd really appreciate you leaving us a review on saw, uh, <laughs> excuse me leaving us a review on iTunes the show is saw something scary but we want the review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to your, this podcast uh, we covet five star reviews if you can't quite do that in good faith and we'll take whatever you give uh, but please do leave us a comment so we will know how to adapt the show to the needs of our audience we really do hope 
that this is a collaborative effort and that you are getting enjoyment out of this in the same way we are as a listener. Uh, again, as uh, creators, we want you to, to enjoy that experience too. So those reviews help us do that. We will be back next week. I think we're going to go to the movie theater and try to catch Predator, Searching. There's just a lot of movies for us to, to take a crack at on our next review. So we'll be back next week, schedules allowing, and we will get started uh, again on a fresh run, hopefully, of some good movies after we wash the bad taste of what The Conjuring has most recently offered us out of our mouth. Until then, guys, I'm not going to go for Derek's ending. Uh, until then, thanks for listening. We appreciate you. Talk to you next time on Saw Something Scary. 